0: You know what that sound means. We went with a different bell today because it's Christmas.
1: Christmas break, Christmas break. No break for us.
0: No, no break for us. No break listening for you. Uh, We are hot at the end of the year, and we are going to bring you something that may not fall into the uh, typical Christmas spirit. It's
1: cold. Yeah. A lot of winter.
0: A lot of winter. Yeah. When I say we, that silk sexy voice that you're hearing next to me is the straw that stirs the drink of historically high um he i think i got too high for this episode did you i had something and then it went away yeah no he uh he in a goal line situation he would definitely tackle the fridge action bronson fantastic yeah that's my co-host chris Professor Chris is
1: here. What's up, ladies and gentlemen, and everyone in between? Yeah, Merry Freaking Christmas. Um Father Christmas, Santa Claus, whoever you might go. The Kwanzaa, happy Kwanzaa as well. Um happy Hanukkah.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think we're no we are in Hanukkah right
1: now. Are we in Hanukkah right now?
0: I'm not sure when the eight days are, but I feel like an eight-day window makes me feel Yeah, I
1: definitely feel like that's where we're at right now. So yeah, just happy holidays to everybody. What we're going to be doing here for the next two weeks to round out and close out 2023 is we're talking about the Man of Steel. And it ain't Superman. No,
0: and it's not Christopher Reeves either.
1: No. I wish it was. It'd be, it'd, it'd have a lot, a lot less death, and probably be quite a bit less depressing. Well, certain portion of the Christopher Reeve story would be a lot less oh. depressing.
0: I thought you may, you wanted Stalin to fall off a horse and break his back.
1: That would have been nice. That could have saved a lot of grief.
0: Would have been better than just his lame arm.
1: Could have, he could have gone the way of his two younger brothers. That's
0: true. Yeah, he could have. Yeah, so uh, Joseph Stalin, and this episode is going to be kind of, in well, these two episodes will be kind of enjoyable and fun, because he is sort of a piece in World War Two that we mentioned a lot and have mentioned a lot, mm-hmm. but at the same time, we haven't really got to flesh him out as a character. If you think World War Two is, unfortunately, if you just think of it as like a movie, like it didn't happen, it mm-hmm. was just all fiction, this is like back character work that we're doing for World War Two and just... Uh, a. Genuinely
1: bad, man. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, in comparison with, you know, the cream of the crop, Hitler, the only reason I think that these guys, and I mean, they're, they're within the same, you know, you have your tiers and everything. Hitler tier one, and then you got tier two. Stalin probably shares that with someone else. But depending on what, you know, what he's doing, he could always kind of get halfway through there. And the only reason that I don't think he is as much of a, a fiend worldwide is because he of course helped with world war ii in, in winning and defeating the nazis but at the same time like he never became a villain to his own people or enough of his own people mm-hmm. to where he lost or was deposed from power or anything like that he ended essentially as like a they still consider him one of the greatest you know rulers of russia and russian history
0: yeah and he after his takeover it's sort of funny the way that it lines up of and we'll talk about Tsarist russia a little bit getting into this but he basically helped take down a system that then he sort of became the system with
1: just a different name yeah he just used a different name for it
0: really all that it was yeah um without any more Stalin, let's get into the
1: episode steal yourself Okay, so, Mr. Stalin, uh, not even his real name.
0: If that is your real name.
1: If that is your real name. Yeah, so, Joseph Stalin was actually born, did we say Losev? Uh, I think it's
0: Losev, wasn't it? Lo-
1: Losev Veseryanovich Jugosvili. He was born in, not even in what would be considered Russia proper.
0: Hitler-like. Red red light hitler like coming with this
1: oh yeah definitely so you have someone born essentially not into 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 no position of power yeah this is someone that was essentially in the worst way possible a self-made man
0: but he was born outside of russia he was born in gory georgia he
1: was born yeah so he was born in georgia and georgia d- does it still exist Today, correct. Yes. I okay. So. so Georgia is kind state, of
0: state. Yes. Country,
1: maybe. Okay. So it exists within essentially what would be considered the Russian, or yeah, the Russian Empire that was under Tsar Nicholas at this time, mm-hmm. so Nicholas II, correct.
0: He might not have been born Tsar Nicholas was there when he came to power. I don't know if
1: that was when he was born. Okay. So it basically is in kind of the reason region of like Azerbaijan, uh the Baltic slash whatever. What region what region would you call that? Like the Persian Gulf? Or yeah, that's so a little further
0: northeast Persian? Yeah,
1: so basically if we're gonna say where it's at, it is in south, more western Russia. And essentially Russia at this point is made up of all of these different countries. So you have people that are within the Russian Empire, but not technically really Russian. And that's going to be kind of a huge thing as as a distinction that Stalin is going to look at is once he gets into power, one of his big things is going to be being Russian means that you live there. Or you live under territory that is Russian territory. So he his position was, did you hear that, like, if you had Russian people who were born in Russia proper and then moved and were living in the United States, they were not Russians by his definition.
0: It was just wherever you reside.
1: But, but as a Georgian, being there in Russia and contributing to Russia made you a Russian. That's convenient. Yeah, it's exactly. It's, it's framing, he's forming the narrative around himself, kind of the same way that the H-man did his.
0: Yeah, yeah, he was Austrian, but technically Austria is a part of the Germanic Empire, mm-hmm. therefore German.
1: Yeah. And before we get too much into him, just some words that we're going to be using since we don't have a glossary and we don't want to hit you with them at the end of the podcast. So a few things we're going to be discussing when we get into the nitty gritty of the, the rise of communism. So the proletariat, word I heard a lot growing up. Never really knew what it was. But the proletariat is basically the working class. And their most valuable commodity is their ability to provide labor. So they're your laborers. They're the people working in the factories. They're farmers. They're not the bourgeoisie, which, fantastic word. Yeah, That's where we get bougie. It's spelled
0: goddamn awful. Oh, yeah. It's great. Where
1: we get uh, bourgeois, all that kind of stuff. So the bourgeois class was essentially everybody that was required the proletariat to do all the work. They were your farm owners, shop owners. Um, They controlled essentially either the property or like the means of production. And when you're bringing in communism, you're not really going to have this class anymore.
0: Well, by name, you're not going to have that
1: class. Exactly. Um, We have Marxism, which was the political and economic theories of Karl Marx, and is basically kind of the bedrock and the basis of communism.
0: Yeah, um, Karl Marx was just, uh, he was a writer, oh shit, without looking into him, I think he was like early 1800s, um, and he just like laid out Marxist beliefs, because I don't think Karl was alive when uh, Stalin was alive.
1: I don't think so, I think it, had, it Lenin had kind of picked up that torch. Yeah, but... Yeah, 1883, so I mean, with...
0: He's born 1878, Marx dies 1883, so within the next generation of...
1: So he was still alive when he was born. If he died 1883, he was five years old when Karl Marx died. Yeah. So he was probably old enough, though, at that point that the one that had kind of picked up the baton from him and was running with it, or at least in his own type, because you do have what would be referred to as Leninism, then we get Stalinism. They're just essentially their versions of Marxism mm-hmm. or communism. Yeah, and, I don't
0: know exactly. I don't think Marx was like a political leader. I think he was like a radical because he, his books were banned in Russia.
1: Yeah, but they were also like very popular. Like his beliefs had like worldwide like no, or like knowledge about them like in other countries. And so he, the, one of the main beliefs of Marxism is that communism would always be the form of like political and economic, I guess, system that would come into play through any, you know, even when capitalism was established or an autocracy was. Basically, he said that either through like revolution or overthrowing the leadership, that it would always come back to communism because that was the most natural fair state. Of essentially everyone being, that's where we get the term commune from, but everyone being equal, equal and fair, the share of, you know, spoils and all that kind of stuff. And then we also get forms of like socialism, where basically socialism, communism is the extreme, extreme version of socialism.
0: Communism is like socialism without the cool
1: shit. Yes, it's It takes the positive parts of socialism and then just fucking makes everything so extreme that it it's still able to claim that it's a version of it, but that's why socialism as we know it, fucking police stations, fire departments, schools, road. schools roads, all that kind of stuff, we have no problem with socialism in that degree. But anytime it gets a little bit too scary, it, you just point at communism and say, see, we're uh, going to end up there. I,
0: and communism for everything... The more that we learn about how scared everybody is of communism, mm-hmm. I sort of feel like it scares me less.
1: Here's because the thing: it's
0: like the devil that we know and understand now, compared to like when it's used as a buzzword to try to bring people like panic and fear and anger
1: in a crazy way everything started as communism and i'm not this isn't not a pro-communism <laughs> podcast but what i mean by that is when people awful. when people first came over even to like the united states and established villages and colonies and stuff like that you did have essentially a system of a hierarchy but for survival purposes when you were a tribe or a village things like that Everything was done for the survivability and the good of the village. It was the good of the whole. Yeah. And so I mean that in a way that like that's where you get where communes were created. Everyone's sharing the resources to make sure that the survival of the commune or the survival of the group is the priority. So everything kind of started that way. It's just then when other people start getting ahead, goods and services start coming in, luxuries start coming in, then capitalism takes over.
0: It was literally like... Capitalism was birthed when we created currency. Yes. Because before currency, it was exchanging your goods and kind of keeping everything on a level playing field. Once we put a monetary amount on something, an item, whether it's chocolate, seashells, anything like that, then communism kind of took a backseat to people wanting...
1: The first versions of capitalism are like a group of Neanderthals, and he's like, Mung has a nice hat. Where Mung get that hat, Mung's like, I make you hat for extra meat. And then all of a sudden, Mung is the richest guy in town and running the system of caves. But getting back to Joseph Stalin, now that we've kind of given a a definition session there. So yeah, born in Georgia, a place called Gory, to a, what did you say, middle class family?
0: Uh, Maybe. A
1: Georgian middle class family?
0: Yeah. uh, Traditionally, I think probably back then as it was for us. um, Bessarian was a worker. He was a a shoemaker. Cobbler. Cobbler. Yep. Uh, his wife or his mom, E. kind of weird that you throw an E on the front of Catherine, but, uh, she was kind of like a stay at home mom. She didn't, didn't have a whole lot of work.
1: I mean, that's gotta be normal though. Yeah. He, I don't he, see a lot of, uh, I don't see a lot of nine to five gals. No. Working jobs, maybe like l- doing some laundry or, you know, helping out with the family business, but I don't see them going off and having a career of their own.
0: No, unless it's like a housekeeper for somebody else. And, and themselves. here we go. There you go. But, uh, yeah, he was the last one born of three. Uh unfortunately, both of his siblings were taken due to illness. I don't remember what the illnesses were.
1: First one was within 3 months. Or did Yeah, the first one was 3 months and then the second one made it 6 months. I can't remember what it was. Um
0: Probably some weird Russian disease that everybody probably caught back then and didn't make it.
1: Fuck, man. It could have winter. They called it winter. (laughs) (laughs) They just had the kids too close to winter or some shit. But if you think about it, man, all I had to do was like one of those brothers survive and maybe we don't get get Stalin.
0: There's so many butterfly effects in these. I'm glad that you brought that up because there's a few others that I feel like it's so weird to say because our success as a country Mm -hmm. is sort of tied to this guy. Yeah. So any butterfly effect of him also would affect us in potentially
1: a very negative it, way. It was definitely if you're fast forward to World War II, it was an enemy of my enemy as my friend situation. Yeah. It he it was a uh what do they call it? A relationship of convenience.
0: Mm-hmm. Strange, strange bedfellows.
1: Yes, exactly. So his due to essentially the death of his younger brothers caused a lot of grief with his father, and his father father started drinking. So. Of course, Joseph Stalin, probably not going to be from a well rounded you know loving family. his father is becomes kind of a drunk and starts wailing on Joseph um close to his mother due to the abuse they both suffered at the hands of um what was his nickname uh, Besso uh,
0: his name was Bessarian, and I think it was Besso be- so, maybe
1: yeah Besso or something like that so, be- so. both yeah, 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 besso right. so both victims of the abuse at the hands of his father. And basically at one point, his mother just got tired of it and started throwing hands at the father. He apparently glass jaw type guy. Cause he fucking bounced and like fucking fled.
0: Yeah. I think he was probably running for more than just her. Oh yeah. I think he probably had. a
1: few. Oh, you don't want me. Okay. You know, I, now I can leave. Yeah. yeah. Now that you're telling me you don't want me here, I don't have to be responsible for you guys anymore. Later.
0: you pissed at me. The police are looking for me. It's probably about time to scram. Yeah. But not only was his father abusive, he loved his mother. She used to babysit with the right hand and the left hand herself quite a bit. It's
1: like as soon as the father left, she's like, you've become probably pretty accustomed to these beatings. I'll have to like...
0: <laughs> Just to keep your mm-hmm. childhood normal. Yeah, exactly. You your dad
1: <laughs> we want consistency here.
0: I Things get really weird, and this is something that, really stood out to me as odd, but uh eighteen eighty six, so we're talking Stallies eight years old, moves in with Father Chris. Father Chris was a uh what the fuck are they called?
1: Uh Cardinal Pope, Roman Catholic, um priest?
0: Yeah, priest. There we go. Yeah. Um
1: his mother was like super devout Roman Catholic, right? Yeah. Okay.
0: But but it sort of seems odd to think that they would go to a priest's house. I don't think priests are allowed wives. We we don't know. Well, we know why. what happens when you don't allow them to have Mm -hmm. wives. But they just moved in with Father Chris. Uh, Father Chris pulled himself a few strings. By 1888, Joe was enrolled in a church school. Um, His
1: mother wanted him to go to a seminary. And so, like, all the schools – I heard a figure that was saying in Georgia – Russia as a whole, I think they said they had room every 20 out of every 20 children, one would go to school. Georgia actually somehow was actually better due to some like industrialization or some something down there. But one out of every 10 kids would be schooled. And so it wasn't just like nowadays where it's just like, oh, it's time to go to school. Like you had to like pull some fucking strings and, yeah, Father Chris was able to get in good. He might have worked for the school. I can't remember or knew someone like the superintendent of this seminary and was able to go ahead and, and get Joe in.
0: They said the only kids that went to this school. No, because they would have had to have had kids. Because it said the only kids that went to the school were usually from priest children. Yeah. So yeah, they would have had to have had wives. Yeah. Huh, okay. So maybe... He- more. It's
1: more like a pastor situation then.
0: Probably, maybe, yeah, maybe Father Chris was tapping that. and That's why he got in. But he was a really smart kid. He did really pretty well in school. Uh, pretty crafty. He ended up like uh, basically forming his own gang of friends at, that at, were, like, at many
1: different times. He would be kind of the ringleader of these fucking child gangs in Gory. Like you think, like growing up and everything in the town. They said just like during like the summer. Kids would just like get together in these fucking neighborhood gangs and packs and go like fuck shit up, fight each other, like property damage of local businesses and all this kind of stuff. And it was just like, it's just boys being boys. But he was kind of always the ringleader in that. And part of like, in addition to him being a good student and everything, they said he got to top of the class pretty fast. He also like sang in the choir. And then he also like did poetry. And they said some of his poetry, like later down the road, like was published poetry. He's
0: a softy.
1: <laughs> well, some stuff happens to him that hardens that a little bit. Yeah, that's the other butterfly. Like all the things that happened that could have possibly kind of prevented the kind of person he turned into. Well,
0: he... two of them too. He grew up, uh, or before he grew up, when he was young, he got smallpox. Mm-hmm. That's why his face has those pock marks on it.
1: 1884, he got smallpox. Is that smallpox. What it was?
0: smallpox yeah yeah it was before he moved in with father chris pretty young age uh fast forward to age 12 he ends up getting hit by a carriage
1: this kid is a carriage magnet i think they said he ends up over the course of his life apparently this was a game is playing chicken with a carriage like a horse-drawn carriage and so like how do you get hit with the carriage because you got to dodge the horse first like are these things moving pretty quick
0: I would think so, but also the carriage is going to be wider than the
1: horse. It is, but you still have to dodge the horse. And, like, I guess that's the whole point is you're waiting to get right close to that horse before you're jumping out of the way. Well, sometimes you don't get out of the way. (laughs) And he ends up getting hospitalized for a couple months. And due to the injury, had it left his left arm kind of, like, fucked up for the rest of his life. Enough so, in fact, that he was denied military service. And, like, in pictures, you see him, like, walking around with that arm, like, tucked into his jacket or, like, in the pocket.
0: I I had no idea. I thought that was just how they stood back then.
1: They just, you just kind of hold one hand there. Yeah,
0: Yeah. because eventually if you're wearing a suit or something like that, your hand will find your way in between the buttons. Just let it rest, almost like a little shirt pocket.
1: Well, and even in addition to that, so in addition to basically, like, not being able to walk across the street without being hit by one of these carriages, he's, like, repeatedly kidnapped by his father. Who basically comes back into town where they're at. And at this point they had left Gory and he was going to school at this place called Tiflis, right?
0: Uh, I believe it was. That was where he was like sixteen years old when he got into like the legit seminary
1: to yeah. become a, a man of God. So he would co- like his father would come back into town and just kidnap him. And at one point he kidnapped him and his father was working for like uh as a cobbler, like a boot manufacturer, like a large scale, like boot operation. And that was kind of Stalin's first look at capitalism. And he saw like what conditions they were forced to work in for how little pay and everything like that. Cause his father, he's like, this is what you're going to do. You're going to be a cobbler. Like it's the, it's the family business. You're going to, you're going to carry on the line. And Stalin sees this. He's like, yeah, fuck that. I'm not, I'm not doing this shit. So like repeatedly kidnapped by his father, they would send like his uncles and everything to try to like retrieve him and everything. But yeah, just between the carriages and the kidnapping, that's got to fuck you up quite a bit.
0: It's definitely got to take you down a weird road. And one of those weird roads that he went down was he had actually joined something called a band book club. Mm -hmm. And they were reading, this is where he's first introduced to Karl Marx. I don't know if he was introduced to Groucho before Karl, but one of those two happened and he just immediately took a love for Marxism that kind of shaped the rest of his life from a young age of 16.
1: It's kind of funny to think about that. So you have a banned book club to like not spread ideas that are um, contrary to like, at this point it was Tsar, Tsarist Russia. So you have Nicholas II. Basically Tsarist Russia was an emperor that was in charge. So you, it was a monarchy or a autocracy. Yeah. So...
0: And that's, it was exactly like you were explaining it. When you say the proletariat, those are the working class people. That's what uh, Stalin knows that he is. And then he sees the bourgeoisie in these massive mansions where they all kind of live together.
1: And Is your mic muted? No. Okay. All right, ladies and gentlemen, sorry about that little interruption. Actually, I do think... Professor Adams' mic was a little quiet right there, so apologize. But I'm not going to lie to you guys. We're 22 minutes into this thing. We're cooking, so I know you guys can hear him because he's got that just deep baritone voice that you can hear coming through my mic. So now you're going to be able to hear him clearly. This was not a sabotage job on my jo- on my part.
0: Yeah, we uh, this tech things. Still certainly kind of... I know it throws me through a loop, and I'm really happy that you can do the... You're loop. seeing how the sausage is
1: made, folks. Yeah. Even after doing this for a year and a half, this, these kind of things happen.
0: Still got hiccups. We so, have to show that we're not always perfect. Exactly. That's what humans. We we're, get...
1: If this podcast shows anything, it's the fallibility of humans. Yep, And exactly. And we're, we are no different. You know who we are very different than? The guy we're talking about. So what I was kind of getting at is... So the school system basically is like, hey, don't read these books. But when he was in the school prior to this, the other seminary school, they literally took a field trip to go watch criminals being hung. And it was like three guys that I think had like beat up a cop and stole a cow or some shit. And when they got there, we're kind of talking about how like – his belief in communism being the way to go was born and like confirmed within those books. I think the Marx books give, gave him the structure that he needed. Like, this is exactly what I've been thinking. But when he went to that field trip, when he was younger and saw those guys, they said that instead of being like, yeah, these guys deserve it. They just saw people that were like them and like people they knew they were like, they're just trying to survive and literally just trying to still account and everything you've made it to where these people were put into this position and now they're being hung and you're basically forcing these kids to be like, see? Do you think it was a warning? They're like, see what happens.
0: I don't know if it was a warning. I think the whole thing was just kind of like when you show somebody a picture of someone on meth. It's mm. like, this is what it looks
1: like when you're Stealing on Stealing cows, not even once.
0: Yeah, and so it's just a, it was a way to reinforce being a good, God-fearing person. And for as long as Carl... Or, for as long as Joseph, not Karl, not mm-hmm. Karl Marx, he grew up and really believed in his stuff. But for as long as Joseph was alive as a kid, he just had God pounded into him to the point to where I think Karl Marx was somebody he could look at and be like, "You haven't told
1: me about God yet. You could be cool." I think they said he kind of they almost forced him to become an atheist because they were just like God, 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 and then in looking at Marx, he's like. I can actually understand and see this. Yeah, I don't really have a lot of proof of the stuff you've been trying to kind of force feed me. And his mother was like, her biggest hope was that he was going to become a priest. Boy,
0: was that off. She was super off. There was a sharp turn taken. Yeah. Very, very quickly coming
1: up. Yeah. Um,
0: That turn is him just basically falling apart in seminary or in the seminary,
1: getting terrible grades, not wanting to be there. All that focus starts moving from the goals of like what his mother thinks in the seminary. And from the moment he gets these ideas of revolution, and again, there's like pockets of this revolution going on at the same time. You have people at this point that are trying to go ahead and, you know, give speeches about communism. And you have people that are like anti-Tsarist or willing to go ahead and try to take, take over the country and establish a new government. Um, in 1899, when he's 21, he's just like, fuck it to the seminary. And I'm about to go full-time revolutionary. Which seems
0: crazy. Cause that's five years of his life that he gave that place to just back out. Then, I mean, I guess it's better to back out when you know that you don't believe anymore, but five years in the seminary and they
1: couldn't hook him. That's, he definitely had some other views. <laughs> I was going to say when you're competing against Karl Marx and he's just, you know, like that. And he's also seeing, you know, He's probably getting kind of an idea of what his life would be like seeing these priests and everything. And he had priests that were essentially people that were like, yeah, if you're in here, as far as the priesthood, there was a guy they called like the black spot that had like a huge mole on his face that was like really (laughs) hard on him or something like that. Um, You're seeing people like that that are like abusing their positions of power. That's probably going to sour you to it pretty quickly.
0: He, there was also something where he would get in trouble because he refused to tip his cap to priests as they walked by yeah. or something like that. It was, it was just like little disrespectful stuff. Yeah, just a, a lot of weird things. Not as weird as when he leaves the seminary and he started working for a meteorologist. Yeah. What in the fuck kind of meteorology are they doing back in the 1800s? snowing. Winter's <laughs> <Yeah>. here. <laughs> Is it just some guy with binoculars up on a... Like, like trying to spot the clouds coming yeah, in? Yeah, dude. It's, it seems so odd to me. It's but cold in Siberia.
1: <laughs> apparently, that gave him a lot of extra time because he... Maybe that's why. There wasn't a lot to do. It's just like, hey, while you're up there in the tower with the binoculars looking for rain clouds, <laughs> he's just sitting there reading books and kind of peeking out every something Now it's clear.
0: I, he started going to these revolutionary meetings. He started trying to join up with this counterculture of sorts. We're seeing a lot
1: of parallels here with Hitler kind of joining these, these small offshoot political parties and that are basically just going to build themselves and then one day find themselves at the, you know, at the top. Yeah. And it,
0: Apparently they were pretty up on what was going on there because he landed on the radar of the czarist secret police, this force that the Tsars had pretty quickly. Yeah, so from
1: like eighteen eighty-nine by May Day, which some places know it as May Day, we know it as Labor Day. Oh day.
0: really? Yeah. I had no idea.
1: Yeah, so by May Day, Labor Day, um in nineteen hundred essentially the, Okra- the Okrana, who were basically the Tsar's secret police. So basically think of it Hitler's form of the SS and then what will be Stalin's NKVD, precursor to the KGB. You basically have the Tsars who have the Okrana as the secret police, Gestapo type type deal. So their job essentially, because they knew that there was like these seeds of revolution going on all over Russia, was to try to sniff out these people, these dissidents, and basically get rid of them before they had a chance to kind of build a following. And so it did not take him long before they were aware of him. And, and he was in Tiflis at this point still.
0: Yeah, he really kind of was just on the scene with everybody because the secret police were looking at him. 1901, he's actually elected to the Russian Social Democratic Party of Tiflis's committee. So he's rising through the ranks in Tiflis pretty quickly when it comes
1: to kind of these communist offshoots. And what's nuts is he's attempted to be arrested like six months before this. Oh, really? Like in March of 1901, he basically escapes and is in hiding after an arrest attempt. So you have this guy who is basically being hunted by the Okrona, but is still active within this political party. So much so, like you just said, yeah, in November... He's elected to that party, which is a Marxist, what they consider a Marxist party.
0: But they do the same thing that Hitler did where you throw social, democratic, labor, all in the name of your party so you can kind of try to cover so
1: many different bases. Do you think they did the same thing where, like, depending on who they were meeting with, they capitalized and made in bold that
0: part of it? it would have had to have been. And that's who they focused on. They focused on the proletariat. They focused on the labor party. The people. Yep, I whenever I hear proletariat, I always think of the Always Sunny the Flowers for Charlie when he gets the um placebo mm-hmm. and he's talking to the assistant about the proletariat.
1: Like how in the world would Charlie ever learn Charlie that Charlie Kelly is essentially the poster child for the proletariat party. He's yeah. the working man. He definitely is. Cleans toilets, does it all. But he they
0: they focused on Trying to get this uprising going because they had had enough Czarist russia they they know that Marxism is the right way that they want to head, and you can't do that unless you have some sort of power, but somehow not too much power. like it's you you want all the cards in your hand, but at
1: the same time you don't want that to overrule your desire to keep everything equal. Here's one thing that I didn't think about, and I don't know if we discussed it with the, in the Hitler episodes, but when you have these like fringe political groups that are still small and trying to gain traction and followers, they cost money. And so in order to fund this, I don't think we touched on this or there wasn't a lot of detail, but basically you have Stalin who is almost like a fundraiser or one of their fundraisers for this party. Oh, he's a go-getter. Yeah. So you have in this place in Georgia called, is it Batumi? Mm Mm-hmm. Stalin put together basically what was known as the outfit. He basically turns kind of into a localized mob boss. He's a gangster. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And they basically, this was an area that it was, there was an oil refinery there. I believe so. And it was the Rothschilds. I believe it was. And that's why Georgia was able to go ahead and fund, I think, more education is because something about that area, because there was more wealth in it because of the refinery. That's kind of what led to that. But basically, he begins like disrupting the refinery and basically running like protection schemes and like racketeering and that kind of shit to siphon off money to begin funding this party.
0: Yeah, he had... Uh, organized two separate strikes at the refinery. I think in one of them there was like 15 people that got killed. Mm-hmm. But in true hitler fashion, he wasn't there. He was just back there to receive the wounded and try to care for them. Like, yeah. he wasn't going to go out on the front lines. Oh, that wasn't no. his job. He yeah. only had one good arm. So what mm-hmm. the hell is he going to do out there? So he was riling these people up. And yeah, the protection racket is fucking really funny to me. Because I'm sure that there were some pretty bad people in Georgia at the time, but the fact that the guy who's probably the most dangerous around He's the is the one
1: shaking people down yeah, for fucking yeah, money. Yeah,
0: like, you guys need protection. Well, only from you. That still works. That's protection. So just that's go what and, I meant. Yeah, go yeah. ahead and pay us. Um, he does this a couple times in his life, but he also they were um targeting like wealthy people's children and kidnapping them yeah. just just for money, just for the ransoms. Uh, I think it was around this time when they robbed the bank.
1: Um, that actually is a few years later. Okay. Yep. So. It, it, yeah, speaking of that, it just fucking escalates. <laughs> like, imagine that. Like, we're going to talk about it, but you're robbing banks yeah. to, to fund your political revolution. <sighs> just, uh, well, and we see what happens. Um, he ends up
0: getting caught. And getting arrested, and he gets sent to Siberia for his first three years in yes. Siberia. So April, When I say
1: first three years, he goes to Siberia more than once. So he gets arrested in April 1902. Uh, court system, I'm guessing, moves pretty slowly on what to do with these political dissidents. And it takes until 1903 in November that they're finally like, "This oh shit, this guy's still hanging around? Fuck it. Uh, send him to Siberia, which... I think everybody has heard Siberia is probably not where you want to get sent to. Siberia also takes up two thirds of Russia and the Soviet Union, which I had no clue. I thought it was just the area around the Arctic Circle. But basically, you have Western Russia, where like the agriculture is, you have, you know, Moscow and like those places. And then after you get west of the Ural Mountains, it is just a fucking frosty wasteland. It's nothing but cold. That's their chief export. Yeah. Chief
0: export is definitely cold. Um, I didn't realize that there were actually like
1: colonies and like villages in Siberia. It's so much. It's so much land. Like you look at a map and you don't realize just how (laughs) vast Russia is. I mean, you can look at it in a way of saying like, yeah, but you can't live on two thirds of it or you can't really do anything. But yeah, there's colonies. There's all kinds of shit. There have to be colonies because that's where they send all the fucking political prisoners. True. Yeah. So while he's there, he's like, yeah, I'm not too crazy about Siberia. He's like 4,000 miles away from Tiflis at this point. It's so insane. when they send you to Siberia, that's why they do that. Yeah, it's the, here's the thing. It's not a jail. It's kind of maybe like a penal colony type thing. But these guys are willing to just basically kind of come and go. Like within the village or wherever they're at, kind of as they please, because they're like, we sent you four thousand miles away. Good fucking luck getting out of here. Yeah, it's you like you have try at any point.
0: Uh, not, uh, yeah, it's sort of like Alcatraz. I like guess Alcatraz had walls, but you're just being sent on. Like if you try to escape, you're just going off into nothingness. Yes, like you have to be able to survive there. So it's like if you're gonna
1: run away, the probably like, good luck, dude. We'll mm-hmm. uh, we might find your body. Well, that's exactly what happened. So he makes his first escape attempt. I don't know exactly when, like how quickly he was there. I'm assuming that as soon as he gets there, he's probably like, I got to get the fuck out of here. So the first time he tries to escape, he gets 40 miles into the 4,000-mile journey. And it wasn't like he was going to be walking. You could get to locations that you could maybe catch like a car somewhere and then to like a train station and try to get the fuck out. But he was still 4,000 miles with no resources away from basically his home. And... The first time, so 40 miles, still sounds like it's pretty admirable on yeah. foot, just hoofing it with whatever supplies you could gather out of this fucking prison colony. Not enough. No, he wasn't even wearing gloves. I think they said he got to, like, some guy's shack and, like, knocked on the door, and he was, like, fighting frostbite. And then after he was able to kind of recover, he was just like, nah, and just walk back. And then he was like, <laughs> I probably need to prepare for this a yeah. little bit more. And then he makes another fucking attempt at it. And successfully makes it the 4,000 miles back in 1904, wasting no time. And again, this also isn't a thing where – wasn't there a a rule about prisons or something? Or it might have been a joke. Prisons in either Sweden or Switzerland, they put you in it, but if you escape, if you're able to escape, they're just like, oh, you're free. (laughs) Like this wasn't one of those situations where if you made it the 4,000 miles, they were like, hey, good job. You, You know, sure come back into society. He's still a wanted man at this point.
0: And what's a wanted
1: man, what's a wanted man going to do? Is he going to lay low? Anything like that? No, he's going to become the fucking editor for like the Georgian Marxist, um, fucking newsletter. Uh, And this is another
0: one of those butterfly moments. He has 4,000 miles to travel back to Tiflis from Siberia. If he doesn't make it in those 4,000 miles and just dies, The world is a vastly different place, I think.
1: Or if that guy at the shack doesn't open the door, if there isn't a house there to begin with.
0: It's just there's so many of these things in his life where he's... I think maybe you guys have probably realized this as we've talked about it because we don't really talk about or haven't talked about Stalin with the same kind of disdain we talked about Hitler with. Mm -hmm. He's just such a tough guy to pin down because we have so much as a country, like hide intertwined with him
1: yeah and here's the other thing too is it's very easy to just you know what it is had he come along at a time when there still wasn't a hitler hangover or hitler to compare him to think if there's no hitler it's just this guy this guy is then hitler it's it's grading on the on the curve hitler set the bar for being fucking horrible so fucking high that anybody below that you're still going to be able to talk about Hitler. So he got to come along at a time. It's kind of that unfortunate thing where like, I'm not saying an unfortunate thing, but I'm saying like in basketball or football, you get two generational talents, one a little better than the other coming along in the league at the same time. But because one, you know, there can only be one that second guy, had he been in that at any other point in his career, he would have been the number one guy.
0: It's like Barkley and Olajuwon playing in the Jordan era. There you very, go. Very, very great players, but you were just playing at the wrong time to get your rec- yes. <laughs> recognition. So, yeah, we're not talking about this guy with great love. It's just he's kind of amazing as far as if you put him in any other situation as a revolutionary. Take like, away the mass murder, <laughs> attempted
1: yeah. genocide, you know, if, totalitarianism if, regime. The guy has had a pretty fucking crazy story.
0: If we had a guy like Stalin during the American Revolution, there were guys that didn't go on to do this. But there were still revolutionaries. This guy's a fictional character. One of the greatest fictional characters of all time. Mm -hmm. One of the greatest greatest characters written. Unfortunately, very, very real. Very nonfiction. Yeah, so like you were saying, he just becomes an editor of a Georgian Marxist newspaper. um, And kind of starts making his name in this propaganda circle as a guy who isn't really great speaking publicly,
1: but can write one hell of a persuasive article. Mm Mm-hmm. And around this time, as an editor, basically, because he's covering the entire kind of communist revolution, all that kind of stuff, there are separate parties within this. It's not just like, hey, you're either a communist or you're not. Much like other political parties, there's far right, there's far left, there's centrist, all that kind of stuff that have different names. So some of the main players within kind of that Marxist communist bubble are going to be Vladimir Lenin, and then also Julius Martov. Well, they have different ideologies for the form of communism that they're going to go ahead and do, so they split into these two parties. Now, when we talked about the Hitler episode, I think we mentioned the word Bolshevism probably a few times, who he Mm -hmm. essentially, within fucking Mein Kampf, was like, we fucking hate these people. These people need to be eradicated. Well, the Bolsheviks are a... Party within essentially the Marxist Communist Party that believed that the membership of the party should essentially stay like exclusive to people that really have only proved their loyalty and are very, very serious. They didn't want any part time revolutionaries being able to claim membership in this party. If you're in
0: your fucking family. Yes,
1: the Mensheviks, which were the ones that Martov was part of. So Lenin had the Bolsheviks. Martov had the Mensheviks, the Mensheviks were like, in order for this to succeed, we need to be attracting everybody and allow everybody membership in here. Well, to them, they're like, well, then you're just diluting it down. You're not being as effective. So you had this ideological split and you had Stalin being like, no, I like the shit where you have to fucking prove yourself and work for it. I want the crazy shit. So I'm going with the Bolsheviks.
0: Well, that and the Mensheviks were pretty Bummed that he was running protection rackets and basically extorting people for money in order to fund
1: <laughs> fund I think, the system. And not want the, blood money. Well and here's the thing too. The Bolsheviks were just like his his money spends. Yeah. Like the money I, spends. We're not too concerned with what he's doing. Besides, oh, maybe a little bit of this revolution is gonna, you know, help our cause.
0: And Lenin were not underselling him he'll eventually get his own episode but this isn't about him this is a Stalin episode um but Lenin becomes like this massive figure that he still hasn't met yet did he- I get his name is it Vladimir Lenin? uh yeah okay Still hasn't met Lenin yet, but knows that he's more leaning towards his Bolshevik party. When he robs somebody, they're like, hey, we'll take the money. When the
1: Mensheviks find out that he robbed somebody, it's like, this isn't what Karl would have wanted. There were no questions. You give money to the Bolsheviks, they were just like, thanks for the money. You give money to the Mensheviks, they're like, where'd you get this money? Where did it come from? Um, And Lenin needed
0: money to fund his movement. Again, still hasn't met Stalin yet, but hears of this great robber. Um, he's a great editor in these papers, these propagandist papers. And so he ends up sending Stalin to a place called
1: Baku and Azerbaijan. Is it? There's an F1 race in Baku. Oh, crazy. And
0: when he gets to Baku, what are you going to do? You're going to put the old band back together. You're going to get the gang back together and you're going to start exploiting these wealthy landowners.
1: Um, and these businessmen. that You're going to get right back to business. Yeah. You're going to go with what you know. Um, There was an event that occurred kind of after the split of the Bolsheviks and the Mensheviks within the party, and that event was called Bloody Sunday, and it happened on June 22nd, 1905. And basically there was a kind of what they considered a military massacre in which the loyalist, like, czarist troops basically killed a ton of, like, Russian citizens and, like, people that would be in the proletariat class.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting when you preach that these people are bad people and then something like this happens and you get to kind of be proved right that these are bad people. Mm -hmm.
1: So this ends up kind of leading to the revolution. And the revolution is basically now, because they've seen the treatment toward what they considered the people – You get this huge backlash in which there was already thin ice with the czar because essentially he had led to some like poor, like military Mm -hmm. outcomes and and all that kind of shit. And plus they look at like all the people suffering because Russia's a harsh motherfucker. And so, you know, you look at this class of, you know, aristocrats, you know, the bourgeoisie and you see nothing but opulence. Where do they live? The place was it called the Winter Palace? That was just one of the places. And did you hear the description of that place? It had like 166 rooms or something like that. They said like a thousand different windows and like 1600 chandeliers. Like this just crazy insane shit. I can't wait to fucking cover the czars. Yeah. That's going to be pretty nuts. But the czars were basically just like, I think what you would consider oligarchs. Except even more. Yeah. Because there were fewer of them. And they ruled the entire fucking country. So just a bunch of Putins. Pretty much. Yeah. So at the top of that was, of course, Tsar Nicholas II. And basically, after the uprising, when did he end up fleeing? Um, Well, there was the uh,
0: uprising that you had talked about. Then um, after that uprising in 1905, he's like, okay, get it. I'm going to change my ways. I'm going to create this thing called the Duma. You guys can elect people into the Duma all
1: you want. I've heard you. I've heard the people. (laughs) They have spoken. We're going to start giving you guys representation by basically creating a Congress for you. But the trickiest thing about the
0: Duma is that the only person that is able to dissolve the Duma and to reconstruct the Duma is Nicholas. So if he commands something that doesn't, that the people don't like, he can just suspend the Duma. He if can they, just dissolve If they it.
1: approach him with something he doesn't like, you know what? This Duma is getting a little stale. Yep. I think we need to do some house cleaning. And he would pull in people. And that would probably be a little bit more favorable to, uh, to doing things his way. Much
0: like how it worked uh, with Hitler mm-hmm. and the uh, Reichstag. Yes. Because... If they had a vote of no confidence, all the elections would happen over again mm-hmm. and it would just go back, back, back. And so I'm assuming this is kind of how the Duma worked. But this is also a time for Lenin to say, hey, if we're going to create or if they're creating this Duma thing, we need to have our Bolsheviks in this Duma. Mm-hmm. We need to start being able to have these funds
1: that we can back these campaigns to try to get our people in power. And it kind of worked. We got We have to get ourselves in front of people. Like, at this point, too, you got to understand that, like, these guys didn't have, like, you know, they had newsletters and publications and stuff like that. But there were a lot of different parties within this revolution kind of jockeying for power. And and so if you could get representatives in front of people and start trying to pass legislation or at least show themselves trying to, like, do good for the people and then showing Nicholas Tsar, like, basically eliminating that option, you're going to have more people rallying behind your cause.
0: It's... Literally like a a dick measuring race. Mm -hmm. If you can get more people in the Duma than all the other Marxist factions, you're probably going to be somebody that's more popular. You're going to end up starting to pick people off from maybe those other crazy offshoots to come be Bolsheviks. Mm -hmm. And Stalin actually...
1: um, He finds himself actually as a delegate. He's like elected as a delegate. Like in November, I think November 1905... So he's how old at that point? He's 28, 29. Pretty good. So he's elected, like, as a delegate to the Bolshevik uh, conference. That's so crazy to think that they would have conferences. And that's going to be in St. Petersburg. He ends up going up there, and they're like, oh, well, you know, Lenin's not probably real popular here. So we relocated it. I think they relocated it to another country. But, again, this being, like, Eastern Europe, it was a train ride away. So he—
0: most of the time they had to do these conferences outside of Russia because
1: the, fucking, <laughs> the czars weren't too pumped about it. Uh, well, of, yeah, of course. it's. And you have the, fuck, uh, what was the secret police called? The O'Connor? The O'Connor. Yeah, you, you get wind of a conference, which we will come to see here yeah. actually in a little bit. You get wind of that conference and you're able to cut the head off the Bolshevik snake all in one fell swoop.
0: Yeah, and this is actually at this conference that you were just talking about. That's where he actually first gets to meet Lenin. So he finally gets to shake his idol's hand. Not John. The same meeting, John Lenin. <laughs> uh-uh, no, no, you're meeting Vladdy, Vladdy Lenin, and I'm sure it was probably a pretty big day for him. But at the same time, I think that Stalin, Lenin, sort of fit what
1: Stalin needed to get power. Like, there were still a lot of things that him and Lenin disagreed on. Oh, yeah, he he gave him a blueprint on how to get his foot in the door. I think one of the disagreements was Stalin was like, no, fuck the Duma. We don't need to be part of that. And he's like, how do you not try to be part of, like, the representative body? Like, how does that not make sense? But, yeah, Stalin thought that the way that they were going to go about things was kind of the way he had already started going about <laughs> fucking things, um, just by force. Yeah.
0: Not the best way to do it, especially when you're trying to uh, oust somebody who's using that force that they currently have against the people. Um, around this time, Stalin gets married July Aww. 1906 to a woman named Kato Snavit. Snv- Kato. 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 Um, Kato actually gives birth to his first kid, Yakov Smirnov.
1: It's not Yakov. Wait, it was actually Yakov. Shmir- no, what was It was name? Yakov, but it
0: wasn't It Shmirnov. wasn't Yakov. Yeah, okay.
1: <laughs> that wasn't his middle name.
0: No. Uh, so, Stalin's a father. Stalin has met the love
1: of his life, and he has a son now. So, it's Yakov Yugashvili. Uh, because yeah. he doesn't adopt Stalin until 1912?
0: Uh, It's up on the board. Okay, we'll get yeah, to Yeah, 1913. It. But life's probably starting to settle down a little bit for this revolutionary,
1: you'd think, right? He's got a wife now, he's got a kid now. Like, there's not a whole lot... You know, and that's the end of our story, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Joseph Stone got everything he ever wanted, a loving family, and uh, he retired from the Communist Party and fulfilled his father's wishes. He actually became a priest who cobbled.
0: (sighs) Yeah, yeah, he was a (laughs) a cobbling priest. A cobbling priest. Uh, Well, he's back in Tiflis after... The child is born after Yakov is born. Uh, he organized the gang heist that was the robbery of the Imperial Bank. And they were actually bringing, it was like all of the money for the workers in Georgia. It was to actually like pay the wages of yeah. the workers. So the people that he's trying to protect, they end up robbing 241,000 rubles, which I think is a lot of money today. 2.5 million. I something want to say like something that? like
1: that. It's multiple millions of dollars today. That's a lot of money, dude. Imagine like, I know this is a while ago, but imagine like movies do bank. high. well, I mean, you've had to escalate in movies. Like in the seventies, I was like, we're robbing it for a million dollars. Like, oh shit. But like you literally, and imagine this, they're transporting this horse and carriage and you have them coming out like his goon squad or whatever to attack them. They start throwing, like, grenades and bombs underneath the carriages. Just, like, Like, homemade explosive devices. Scaring the fuck out of the horses. I think it ended up killing... 40 people were killed. Oh, thank God. No one from his gang was fucking killed. But, like, 40 people died in this fucking robbery. That's just a crazy number.
0: Yeah, to... For 40 people to die and nobody in his outfit dying is... That's a pretty successful raid to get 241,000 rubles. Um... Yeah, I was actually wrong. The bank robbery happened before young Yakov comes along. Uh, 1907, er, That's
1: why he came along. He was conceived. He's like... We're that just from the same night? It <laughs> was. It was like, nine months after. You'll never be, believe what we just did. She's like, I am so horny for you for robbing that bank. And this Yakov was born. Yeah. Conceived. June 1907.
0: Um, probably a pretty great year. Then things get a little
1: bit bad. <laughs> he goes from the highest of the highs, yeah. uh, the, high, uh, the highest of heists he's a new father, but listen, this guy's still a fucking scumbag, so in true Carmetic fashion, he's gotta get brought down and unfortunately, nothing fucking happens to him, but poor Kato ends up getting typhus and fucking dies a few months after like what six or seven months after giving birth, yeah. That's and if there was any empathy or humanity left in Stalin up to this point, despite all the shit that he had done up to this point, I think this was kind of the point where that probably just left.
0: I think he actually said something like when she died, it killed
1: the rest of like the feelings I have for other human beings. Or yeah. Like she like had, she had melted or she had softened my stone heart. And so as soon as she was out of the picture, that was like almost maybe his conscience. Like he looked at her and he's like, well, I can't do this because, you know. Yeah. I, she might not like it.
0: So, yeah, maybe she was just the restrictor plate on his madness because he just leaves Yakov with her family. Oh, yeah. And goes back it to
1: Yakov. I'm out.
0: Goes back to Baku again. Brings everybody back together for more robbing and stealing because we have some guys going into the Duma. I'm a member of the Duma now. We need some funds to start trying to raise this Lenin party up. And, again, he is arrested.
1: <laughs> uh, he got sentenced to two years in it's exile. It's going to catch up to you. huh? It eventually yeah, catches up. Uh, How long had he been at this point? So <laughs> That's he, the other thing, yeah. He was he, doing all this as a fugitive from escaping Siberia. Do you think they finally got a hold of him and they're like... What the fuck? We thought you were what in Siberia. What are you doing back here? Yeah. yeah How I, did you, how'd you get back here? Why are you here? Four miles, man. It took me like a week and a half. I was back. They learned their lesson. Yeah. He gets sent to a place called the Volga Volgata uh, province. Which is around the Arctic Circle. They're, they're like, <laughs> you know what? I think we figured out the problem. It was too nice where we sent you the first time. So now we're going to send you to even a harsher place. So you we don't have to fucking see you pulling this shit again. And it sounds like this place was pretty fucking harsh, too. Because he had, like,
0: a little cabin that was on a, an island mm-hmm. that he stayed in. Uh, he got real weird with it. He, I believe, starts his love affair
1: with teenagers. This is... Of of course, this is part. Of, I never knew this part of it, but yeah. reading it, I was like, of course, I don't sense. know. I don't know how this I didn't connect this before. This is the thing with Hitler having his creepy obsession with his fucking niece and all that kind of shit. Um, yeah, you get fucking fucking Joseph getting a 13 year old pregnant and then she gives birth when she's 14. I can't remember, but I do know that she was somewhere within the 13 to 14 year old range where 14 he's... years old was the first time he impregnated her. That
0: one didn't see through. So then he impregnated her a second time. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And that's how Alexander's born in 1917.
1: Um, it took him a while. That's, that's also the last time that he, he ever... was arrested.
0: He, there, there was actually another impregnation that I can't believe I forgot to mention, but, uh, he was sent back to a different part of the Volgata province, something like that. He ends up impregnating his landlady.
1: Okay, I so I knew about the one, the like the 14-year-old, because that fucking stands out. Yeah. but So he ends up escaping that place as well. Yes, he dresses up as a woman to do it, remember? That, yeah, because this is his second escape. He doesn't even get the
0: teenager pregnant until his third escape. Oh, Jesus. Maybe that's where I, I was getting mixed up. But uh, yeah, he's in Volgata. Ends up getting his landlord pregnant. His second son, Constantine, comes out. Um, <laughs> then, as you said, he escapes Volgata dressed up as a woman, which uh,
1: that's sort of an Al Chapo move. And here's the thing that you I didn't really consider, I guess, until we were talking. We're talking about it now is the other escapes. You're like, how the fuck does he keep escaping at this point? This isn't him just attempting to escape. So. Marxism, Bolshevism, all that kind of stuff, it has been growing. And it's not like they're sending like, this guy goes here, this guy goes here. We're going to keep them all separate. They're just sending all these motherfuckers that they arrest to the same places. So him getting there but also having a higher position within the Bolsheviks, he has almost a support system. Not only that, but then he has the support system of all his fucking guys that work for him back in Georgia and throughout Russia – that are able to try to funnel him like resources or supplies in order to try to get out of here. They're sending him cakes with files in it. Exactly. (laughs) They're sending him warmer clothes so he can fucking make it. Send me
0: mittens. Being back in his old haunts away from Volga and the landlady that he knocked up. uh, He publishes an an article uh, called Marxism and the national question, March, 1913. And he actually signs the article as K-Stalin. And uh, what is it? Stalin,
1: Stalin is... is the Georgian word for steel. So he was literally Joe Steele. And, and then, then he becomes, you know, Russia's man of steel.
0: Yeah, he he goes ahead and he takes that moniker and it just lives with him for the rest of his life. There's a lot of these guys. not going to lie to you.
1: Respect for the moniker.
0: Yeah. Right. Joe Steele. Pretty, pretty cool. Pretty cool for sure. But a lot of these guys had to take these monikers because when they were writing these articles or just kind of living the lifestyle that they did as revolutionaries, they had to go by these names. They had to go by, are they called pseudonyms?
1: They were wanted men. Yeah. So they had to kind of create these. A lot of them were. People within the Duma, like legitimate, that they had to kind of like keep in there. But like, yeah, Stalin was definitely wanted. But like
0: Lenin's name wasn't Lenin. It's not really Lenin. Um, but we'll talk about Trotsky here in a little Trotsky bit. Trotsky isn't really that's not his no, name. They're just kind of their not own the deli guy. names.
1: Trotsky's uh, deli.
0: <laughs> as you were talking about in the Duma, February 13, he actually goes to meet his buddy Roman uh mm-hmm. And Molinovsky has worked his way up to where he's one of the heads of this Bolshevik party in the Duma. And they
1: were going, it was like a black tie gala or something. He gets him to come to a party. He's like, Joseph, oh my God, you made it. You escaped again. Listen, we're having a little get together night. It's going to be all the Bolshevik boys. They want to see you. They need to see you. I've been talking you up, you know, wine, women, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, he basically has the Duma party leader for the Bolsheviks. Rowan Malinowski being like, come to my home. Of course you're going to be safe. No one's going to know you're there. Well, what ends up happening?
0: They show up to the party, and as they're sitting at dinner, the uh, Akana Mm -hmm. uh, comes rushing in, and he's actually, Malinowski's actually like in mid-conversation with Stalin when the police rush in and arrest him. turns out that Malinowski was the highest-paid secret informant of the, what can I? Arcana Arcana,
1: Okay, Arcana, Basically, the czar secret... Yeah, he was on the payroll. He was the highest one within the Bolshevik party. And, like, as they're hauling Stalin away, he's like, don't worry, I'll do everything I can to get you out. <laughs> nope. Not so much. Nope. All so this is where he gets sent back and... Four no, more yeah.
0: years in Siberia. Again, you're sentenced for just four years? They... You know that this is the guy that robbed that bank too. Like you have to have a past, just litany of his crimes that you
1: can pin. Of to Of course, him. you do. You're paying Malinowski. You think he's not has inside information of where the money's coming from and of the activities and shit like that?
0: Yeah, Four years
1: doesn't. Someone's seem having like to get enough. authorization from someone to be able to do some of this shit. Yeah, uh, it's it's so
0: short of a. It's almost like we don't want to deal with you for four years. So just go away. When you come back in four years, maybe we'll have some more free time to keep an eye on you.
1: Well, now we get to the the child rape. So, yeah, he's sentenced to four more years in Siberia where he knocks up a 14 year old girl twice. So he's got one kid already in Siberia, Constantine. Now he has Alexander, who's born in April 1907. You got Yakov back in Tiflis. And you never see any of them again. He just. Almost. Oh, well, Yakov. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if he sees him. He's a picture. Oh, that that's true. But yeah, so basically he's just like nailing and bailing. And basically he he is unable to escape. Or he, he hasn't doesn't have had enough, to. Huh? He didn't have to. No, that's what I'm saying. Maybe he they didn't, didn't give him enough time because oh no, he was there for a while this time, wasn't he? Uh three-ish yeah, three-ish
0: years. But uh he says that when he's there and he's living kind of in his little area. He just sees the wolves come in at night for any scraps of food that are left. And he actually, it sort of feels like takes on this wolf like persona from watching these wolves.
1: You already get Joe Steele; You
0: don't get to associate yourself with wolves. He just, they you said
1: don't... that he would doodle wolves when he was in meetings. Like he was just obsessed with it. Okay. I'm going to throw something out there because it was during this stretch after he got betrayed, he found out that Malinowski betrayed him yeah and so at this point this is where i don't know if he put two and two together exactly what happened but he figured this out because he now kind of the loss of his wife if that completely took the human you know humanity out of him this basically shows him that there is nobody that you can trust even the people that are within your party it completely has him lose any ability to kind of like believes someone's not going to stab him in the back if given the opportunity.
0: Well, and when Molinowski got him shipped out, he lost that support system of everybody else around him sending him money and do support. You think and do you think he saw and he's like, lone wolf. I'm a lone wolf now. It could have been. Oh. He just, he kind of took on that kind of careless persona that comes along with thinking of a
1: wolf. Well, and it, you kind of look at this possible transition here of like, well, this guy's been kind of loyal to the Bolshevik party up to this point and everything like that. Um, He obviously has to rely on these people for support and everything. Then you get the guy that ends up coming back, and I think that's a changed person that's just like, nope, I need to be the one. I think he always kind of had that ambition and everything like that, but at that point he's just like, nope, I don't need anybody else. I can take care of all of this myself, and I'm going to have to.
0: Yeah, and he lucks out. October
1: 1916, uh, don't know if you guys know about it, World War I is in the swing of things. Oh, did I say Alexander was born in April 1907? What did you have there? Sorry. Oh, maybe 1917, so maybe he wasn't around for the birth. Oh, yeah, probably not. So, sorry about that. So, yeah, that explains why we're up to October 1916. Okay, so, yeah, again, he's not there very long.
0: Uh, well, he went February 13th is when he got arrested, so... I'm sure it seems like a lot longer in Singapore. Oh, fuck. Every day has to seem like a week. But he gets brought back because he gets conscripted into World War One for Russia, for Soviet Union, I guess. Got to be was desperate it? at that point. Was it the Soviet Union when it was
1: ours? No, it doesn't become
0: the Soviet Union until Lenin takes over. Okay. So yeah, he, he gets brought back for Russia. Unfortunately, that weak arm that he had declares him unfit in 1917, so what do we do? Do we send him back to Siberia? No, we're going to keep him under supervision for four months for him to finish up his sentence, and then we're just going to let him back off into the world mm-hmm. again. And that's... It's what happens... um It must have happened right before this February Revolution. Stalin wasn't actually with Lenin
1: in Petrograd, like I have written there. So that was... And at this time, Petrograd was the capital of Russia. Yep. Okay.
0: Uh, This February Revolution ends up sparking enough violence that Tsar Nicholas abdicates the throne and just leaves, like, not doing this anymore. Takes his
1: family and heads to his summer house or his retreat somewhere else. Yeah,
0: just in hiding, kind of in exile, Mm -hmm. probably. So this whole czarist system needs somebody to sit on top of it. So as they're trying to work through figuring out who will be the next king, we run into the October revolution. And this is where, uh, the Bolsheviks ended up seizing like a post office, a power station. Um, they took a bank and they had actually, I think they had a boat.
1: Like a barge or something
0: like that. Yeah, That they had gone out on, um, and floated to this
1: winter palace that we were talking about earlier. Basically, this is like the seat of power for the czars. This would be their, they had of course other palaces and everything like this, but this was their palace in Petrograd. That was like the seat of their monarchy. And And so if you can seize that, that's like, if we're we're talking about like seizing the chancellery and for like Germany and stuff like that, it'd be like seizing Congress or the Capitol building.
0: Be like storming the capitol building. <laughs> <laughs> this is their January 6th. Uh-huh. Yeah, pretty much.
1: <laughs> yeah, they
0: they run the bourgeoisie out of there. So we're running into these Marxist needs that were written down by Karl of getting the bourgeoisie out there and having the proletariat take over and it turns out out of all of these parties that were vying for this the uh Mensheviks the Bolsheviks and some of the other ones, the Bolsheviks come out on top.
1: Do you think that had something to do with the fact that, you know, it doesn't mean that like the the siege or the attack on the Winter Palace and, you know, the abdication, that doesn't mean that that was the biggest thing that was done. There could have been Mensheviks that seized an entire city, like, or multiple cities. But do you think because the people and because it was the capital and the seat of czar, and it forced him as a person to actually flee, do you think that gave the Bolsheviks like a big bump of being like, look, they were the ones at the tip of the sword. They were the ones that sparked this, that did most of the work. So it maybe kind of gave them a little bit, because they, for a while there, they weren't the major party within the Marxist party. They were like a, a smaller portion of it. But I think, that maybe had something to do with them maybe having a little bit more support for like public opinion.
0: Yeah, well, it's you can look at anybody from the outside and say, "Hey, all these other guys tried, we just did."
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: So, it, it was cute what they did that was playtime. We actually made a serious step here and ran these people out of the Winter Palace. Um October 26, 1917, Lenin declares or lenin is declared as the chairman of the new government so lenin is the head uh not the czar anymore because they mm-hmm. ran we don't use that word ran it all out lenin becomes the the I figurehead guess, yeah the figurehead the, yeah. of the new government um he creates something called the council of the people's commissars basically like gives himself sort of a um like a senate
1: okay um he gives, he gives the people representation.
0: Yeah. But, I,
1: but more, much more so legitimate than the fucking Duma.
0: Yeah. And as Lenin comes into power, Stalin's thinking, sweet, what am I going to get out of this? Who, what's he going to make me in charge of? Do I, am I in charge of like the whole goddamn Russia? Uh, am I in charge of the military? What am I going to get? Well. Leon Trotsky that we talked about a little earlier was kind of another one of the figurehead that surrounded Lenin and Trotsky gets appointed uh, foreign
1: affairs and to be the Red Army leader. Yeah. So Stalin isn't Stalin isn't like the number two to Lenin. There's quite a few guys that are that are kind of above him already. And one of the main ones that's been there kind of by Lenin's side, who was actually with the... Was he a Menshevik there for a little bit as well? And then he came over to the Bolsheviks? Uh, I thought that he was all Lenin, but he could have been. It's it's Leon, yeah, Leon Trotsky. So if you've ever heard the name, he's essentially just, you know, he's a Marxist. and But him and Lenin from a position of... Oh, how did they describe Stalin? They said he didn't have like it was a knock against his, the type of intelligence that he would need to do something like this.
0: He was extremely intelligent, but he wasn't wasn't an intellectual. Yes.
1: They, they said that he was smart, but not an intellectual in the same vein that Trotsky and Lenin were. And so a lot of kind of the opinion of Lenin through kind of the inner circle of like Lenin's group was that I feel like they kind of thought he was just like a blunt instrument because the complaints about him having any of the higher or more important more important positions is that he lacked like, not like civility, but he just didn't deal with people in the right way. He was too uncouth. He was too uncouth. Like he didn't have the right way of going about things. And so in kind of a way to slight him again, Trotsky's given that, you know, foreign affairs and the freaking red army, You get Stalin being assigned as this general secretary of the party. That sounds so boring. It does. And you had other people in different... So it wasn't like Lenin in this position as the chairman, Trotsky in this position, and then Stalin. Stalin was a few rungs even down. Well,
0: he technically wasn't a part of the government because he was just a secretary of the Communist Party. So he uh, was yeah, he wasn't involved with what the actual so like, even more of
1: a slight then, yeah, what the country was doing. All right. before we go any further, bathroom break. Cut. Well, hey there, all you sexy historians. How you guys doing? It is time for socials. Where can they find us on Instagram? If they want to uh, follow (laughs) us, they can find us at Historically High Pod on Instagram.
0: That goes the same for threads as well. Uh, You can also find us on Twitter. Tell them about Twitter. Historically High. That's Historically H-I on Twitter. And if you want to email any of your comments or suggestions, where can they find us at, Adam? At Historically High Podcast at... Gmail.com. G- 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 gmail.
1: All right. And back to the show. Ah, oh, you feel better? Much better. All right. So, what's a Stalin to do? You're sitting here in this position where you're not even really in the government and the operation of like the day to day running of the country. You're the secretary. Uh,
0: you made a very apt uh, comparison. comparison? When we were texting back and forth about this, because he really kind of does become um, Billy Madison. Go on. Uh, what was the dude in Billy Madison that oh, makes the list? Oh,
1: yeah. Um, is this the dude, Steve Buscemi's character? Yeah. Is this Danny something? I can't remember what his name was. Yeah,
0: where he's just <laughs> making a list, and he's writing people's names down, and Trotsky goes right at the beginning of it. Trotsky got all the acclaim that he thought that he deserved. He thinks his general secretary job is just kind of shit.
1: You just made the list,
0: bitch. (laughs) Then he figured out. They didn't
1: get along at all, though. No, this was was when like, this was definitely when it was solidified. The position of Trotsky over Stalin, like there's a legitimate position divide and everything. You can't tell yourself at that point, like, well, he just hangs out with Lenin more and I'm busy doing this shit. So that's why we're not hanging out. You now literally get Lenin's, Viewpoint on where you actually stand.
0: Yeah, there's an axe to grind. And as General Secretary, I don't know if Stalin just figured all this shit out, but it is pretty brilliant. Um, General Secretary is in control of basically all the appointments to... Um, party
1: positions and party membership approval.
0: And also, when they're having these big meetings... The general secretary is the one who invites people and doesn't invite
1: people. And sets the agenda of what's going to be discussed and what's not going to be discussed.
0: So he just uses this to his advantage in such a perfect way to be able to start making sure that people are put in appointments that are more sympathetic to his cause. Maybe more aligned with his beliefs. All those motherfuckers
1: helping him rob those banks and everything like that. He's like hey, how would you like this position within the party? Uh,
0: And all it does is just bolster his strength by putting these people that agree with him in all these different positions.
1: He basically builds this huge Stalin first base within ranking positions that are going to basically allow him to use this almost unassuming title, kind of at first glance, to basically fuel his rise straight to the top.
0: Yeah, and we have another guy, second guy on the list, Uh, Lev Kamenev, who became the chairman of Moscow, 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 whatever. Um, And he actually later, uh, he becomes the acting president when Lenin has his stroke.
1: Yeah, the Commissar's Council, which would make him, I guess, Speaker of the House?
0: Sort of, yeah. Uh, Yeah, I would say that. That's probably pretty good. So he just kind of... Lenin, or not Lenin, shit. Stalin kind of is starting to find a way to maybe make his mark on the party known more so than just being the general secretary. Like he's the movers and the shakers that really want to help
1: him or kind of people that he's ushering in the door. One thing that's also going on kind of concurrently to all this, you know, they're trying to establish because this is coming off of a czarist empire, like where it's one ruler to now almost, I guess a form of what they are telling people is a representative type government. And I don't know, like when we do Lenin, I'll be very interested in kind of getting into like the character study of him to find out if it's believable that he was really just all in on this for the people, or if he was just Stalin before Stalin and was trying to, and was trying to get into that chairman position to kind of do the same thing.
0: Yeah, he's. <sighs>
1: I don't know. I feel like I feel Lenin- like he'd be known as a more evil person. I mean, I know there's not like crazy love for Lenin because of the whole communism thing. I'm just saying like you think if he was kind of like that, there would be more... He doesn't get time to do it. Yeah, he there just doesn't be, have the runway. I guess that's true. It's hard to it's hard I, to tell. I think that's sort of what it is, is he just doesn't have the runway to be able to really stretch his legs and make some moves. So what I was getting at, though, at this same time, because you have this new government, it's still in its infancy, stuff's still getting shaken out. There's, like, instability everywhere. Oh, so yeah. you have situations where, you know, you have these Russian territories that were conquered during previous wars and everything, and especially this, this is right after... World War one, one. So you have areas in which the czars have like, I think Poland was part of the Russian empire. You start to have these countries being like the czar's gone. They're trying to like clean house and figure out what the fuck they're doing. Now's the time for us to regain our independence. So you have some of these other revolutions and uprisings. So you also have these guys that are in these positions being sent out to like command, like military operations and you get a situation where Stalin is actually put in charge of, like, a region, and it was in uh, May 1918. He takes control of the regional military op- operations in... I believe it's Sorensen. Sarensen. And at one point, they decide to march. He's not making this decision, but the Russian military is trying to, like, squash an uprising in Poland, so they decide to try to march on Warsaw.
0: Well... I essentially what that was was 1920 was the Polish or the Polish Soviet civil war. That's right. Okay. And it was them trying to break for freedom. So the Poles came down into Ukraine and went over and took Kiev uh, Kiev on May 7th. Um, later on in May, Lenin goes ahead or, and, uh, Jesus, why do I keep getting Lenin fucking Stalin confused? Um, not going to get him confused very much longer. <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah, I guess one of them is going to be gone forever. But uh, Stalin moves his troops into Ukraine and takes back Kiev on June 10th. So they've taken back this area that was just taken by the Poles during the Civil War. Which they're not really fighting for freedom if they're going into Ukraine to try to take over some territory um and lenin feels that what needs to happen now is they need to head into warsaw like you're talking about and they need to try to reassert themselves in warsaw
1: we just come off a w let's go get another one
0: yeah and stalin sees this as just such a bad
1: idea somehow not well finds that he's not a great military leader but he has some wherewithal here to be like i think after we've done this in ukraine We might be spreading ourselves kind of thin, trying to go take on Poland right now and invading Warsaw. Lenin ends up sending in, I can't remember who it was. I don't know if Trotsky's involved with it or anything like the command there. I believe he is. he sends in a certain division or a certain number of troops and orders Stalin to do the same. Stalin's like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) And because of that battle ends up being a stalemate. It's actually a loss for Russia. And like, it's like these horrible surrender terms are like, Truce terms or some shit. And so Stalin, in Lenin's eyes, basically even, I think, falls down another rung. Yeah, he
0: I, he just can't get a win with Lenin, it feels like. And it is shit like that where I think he ends up getting stripped of his um, powers in the military because they thought that it was such a bad decision. They thought that he just knowingly defied orders, which... It sounds like he did, yeah. but he did for good reason, I think. Like, I think there was a logical thought that went through his head that if we try to get into this
1: war, we might not end up beating Poland. Well, here's the thing, too. Do you think it's one of those situations where he thinks in his way, his rationale, that if he goes and he's part, he sees it as a losing you know, endeavor, and he's like, well, if I'm part of this losing endeavor, then I'm going to look bad. Do you think he was going to take instead of taking the L yeah. and the dishonor for that, he was more like, if I just don't go, I can't lose. And so maybe you'll just get chewed out. Lesser yeah.
0: of two evils. Yeah,
1: I'll just try to get chewed out. Especially if it's so embarrassing for Trotsky that it brings him down too.
0: Yeah, and I'm sure Trotsky was right in lockstep with Lenin in believing that if this was what Lenin wanted to do as the leader it, of the it Red It had Army, to be done. Yeah, I had to make it happen. This, this wasn't a suggestion, motherfucker. <laughs> uh, May 1922, Lenin suffers a massive stroke. Father Time, Lennon, an older man, Undefeated. Father Time
1: starts to catch up to him. And it's kind of odd. Uh, how... This one wasn't Father Time, my friend. Did you not hear how this happened? Uh-uh. Okay. So Lenin had actually survived an assassination attempt a couple years before and got shot in the neck. He suffered the stroke during a surgery in May 1922 or right after the surgery, removing the bullet. Oh, shit. So it causes him to have uh, that massive stroke and everything. And after that, Stalin's like, you need Joseph at your house. So Stalin basically sees this as an opportunity to almost like, do you think he thinks he's going to like puppet master Lenin? Like weekend to Bernie's him or some shit? I think it was
0: because I had read a couple times about how Lenin would just tell him or Stalin would just tell Lenin shit to make him mad. Like, just try to get under his skin and piss him off. Or try to force another fucking stroke or aneurysm. Yeah, maybe just something to push him over the edge.
1: His wife, Lennon's wife, really wasn't a fan of Stalin. That makes a lot of sense, though, because I did hear about that, too, that he he tried to make himself indispensable to his wife and basically be Lennon's eyes and ears for the party. Mm -hmm. All information to try to funnel through him to give to Lennon. And I think part of that was the fact that with Lennon still there, and the trajectory that Stalin's career and political maneuverings were taking, I think maybe in a way he – this was kind of a wild card to go ahead and do this. Yeah. But at the same time, if he's trying to go ahead and upset him, push him over the edge, kill him, that's going to cause a power vacuum. And that's, I think, at the the only way that Stalin is going to get into the position he is. He was never going to get there with Lenin. He was never going to be Lenin's heir. And we're going to find that out when he writes the letter and yep. everything. He was never going to be that guy. This is his gamble. He has to try to create <clears throat> unrest and a power vacuum in order to have a chance of sliding in there. Yeah. He, he Solid needs, fucking plan. He needs
0: chaos. Yes. Um. So, eventually, January 1924, somehow Lenin lived two more years.
1: They said he had a couple other strokes, too. Like, there was one, and he was still kind of verbal after the first one. That's <coughs> why he was able to still, like, communicate with Stalin and Stalin the rest of the party, but then he suffered one or two more. And the last one ended up causing, I think like an embolism or an aneurysm or something. And down goes Lenin.
0: This might be my favorite thing that Stalin did because
1: I find this next part. The pettiness (laughs) of this, but also like the sheer, like ballsy political maneuvering of this. (sighs) Again, had this been a fictional character, you just got to fucking tip your cap.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's really all you can do because it's just a stroke of brilliance. Um, Stalin knows that Lenin really enjoyed Trotsky. Trotsky was kind of his his second, not really second in command, but somebody that Lenin held in very
1: high regard. Well, (laughs) there was a letter that Lenin had wrote. And it was basically when it boils down to it, the letter was like a... It. I don't know if it was like, I don't think it was his will, but it was a review of all the people in the party and what he saw for the future of the party. And he basically wrote down the strengths and weaknesses of everybody. There was like seven guys that could potentially fill his spot and mm. move into that spot. And he did like a profile on all of them. he even, he did one on Stalin, of course, and Stalin's was the worst. It was actually even stating that Stalin should be removed from his position as the gaining secretary. Gaining too much power. Because he was using it and gaining too much power in doing it. Well, this did make its way out to these leaders, you know, the people that it was about within that, like, I guess you would call it if, you know, like the board. Let's just say the, they're the board, um, the board of the Bolsheviks. Well, Because they didn't end up releasing it. They all were like, Stalin is definitely not getting to power and everything, but they didn't release it because it would have, they would, to release Stalin's stuff, he would have been able to release theirs and everybody would have seen that they all had weaknesses and it would have caused even further division. Another thing apparently was that they underestimated the fact that the things they perceived as Stalin's weaknesses and that Lenin perceived as his weaknesses, like, um, his harshness in certain situations, things like that. The people had been so fucking mistreated for so long that they actually found those qualities more desirable (laughs) than the other ones. And so they were like, shit, this is going to have the unintended consequence. If we release this of basically saying that even Lenin thinks Stalin has the qualities that they find. So it's just going to bolster him even more. Yeah, It's going to look good. Well, he not only does that. So he, they have that, But then Stalin actually plans the funeral as the secretary. I guess that's part of the job is to plan his send off. He gives the eulogy in which he basically like just gives a bunch of like Lenin quotes and how they pertain. And he keeps saying like our great Lenin or like basically trying to kind of like set himself up as the heir apparent. Well, it was really
0: nice that Trotsky let him give the eulogy, right? Because Trotsky was there, wasn't he? It's hard to give the eulogy if you're not invited to the fucking (laughs) funeral. Yeah, apparently Stalin had sent the <laughs> invite to Trotsky. There's a couple different stories, a couple different variations that I heard about this. Trotsky was kind of an in-his-head kind of guy. Uh, one of the stories was that Stalin had arranged for him to go off on like a holiday mm-hmm. and
1: to keep him away from the capital. He was like, "Do you know where the fox hunting is really good? Yeah. 2,000 miles from here. I'm going to send you with protection and we're going to send you on a little vacation. You've been working hard.
0: So he heads out that way and doesn't ever hear about the funeral. They're told
1: to kind of cut off communication to Trotsky about anything that's going on. He basically has his guys with him, and he's like, make sure he doesn't get near a newspaper.
0: The other thing that I heard, and it may be just kind of a mix of both, (laughs) was that Stalin wrote Trotsky's invite that he sent to him for the wrong day of the funeral. So you would have to be out in the middle of nowhere, right, to just not know that Lenin's funeral is happening? Yeah, that yeah, yeah. It, it tracks for me too. Either way, Trotsky isn't there to kind of put his signature on this. And what makes you look like the
1: worst Lenin as possible? Oh yeah, you don't even show for his funeral. Yeah, you you and, can't even be bothered. And the other guy, your main competitor, is not only up there giving the eulogy; he's a pallbearer, yep. and he arranges for all of you know for Lenin's body to be embalmed. And then put in, like, a glass mausoleum, sarcophagus-type thing. Was it in Red Square?
0: Yes, and it was creepy as shit. And so
1: all the people could walk by and always pay their respects to Lennon. Always thought those were jokes, but I think, like, at some point, his body was moved inside, but it was still in, like, a glass case or some shit. I want to say it still is. We're going to find out when we end up doing Lennon. Yeah, I I think one of them still is. I don't know if it's
0: him or Stalin, but... uh... He also goes ahead and renames Petrograd Leningrad. So he's showing this kind of proper respect to the revolutionary that brought this to brought or that brought Russia into basically the Soviet Union style well
1: it was that turned it into the Soviet Union. Yeah, he sneaky bit. (laughs) So sneaky. I I hate the guy, but it's a fucking pretty ballsy, brilliant move. Here's something else I heard, too, when it kind of was the comparison between Stalin and Trotsky. Trotsky was more kind of like even-keeled and like centrist, I think. When Trotsky spoke, this is where the intellectual thing, I think, actually was a disadvantage because of like the people that you were actually kind of trying to get this message to.
0: Yeah, one in 20 of them were going to school.
1: Yeah, so they said that like, you know, talking to people, they were like, we can understand like almost every word that Stalin is giving us. We we understand the message he's trying to convey. Trotsky, I may be understanding every third word. <laughs> like he's trying to flourish. Like I heard. Did you hear like interviews of him talking and reading? Not him. It's very like he looks like a Russian Colonel Sanders is what he looks like. A little like. bit. Yep. But um, yeah, he you could tell that if you didn't have even to me it sounded flowery, but if you have an entire country or your proletariat is just working-class people that don't have an education, you almost come off as elitist. Yeah. And you're representing the one thing that they were like, well, we never understood what fucking Prince, whatever his fucking name was, or Tsar Alexander was, not Tsar, Tsar, what was that? Yeah. Fuck? Nicholas. Tsar Nicholas. Tsar Nicholas was saying. So you're almost giving off that. They saw Stalin basically just as more relatable. Yeah, Trotsky felt a little bougie. Mm-hmm.
0: And... Uh, Stalin doesn't take his foot off the gas He goes ahead and starts appointing All of these loyalists to um, Sort of Start to fill in the gaps to get him The support that he needs And his idea is He wants to support this proletariat so he's not calling people into positions that are already fairly rich or well-to-do or higher up in the party. He's not
1: calling in career politicians. No, yeah.
0: He's bringing in young guns to try to bolster him because those are
1: the people that he wants to help. The guys that are f- fanatical.
0: Yeah, that's probably very true.
1: The guys that are more willing to get in the trenches and mm-hmm. fuck with some stuff than some of the older guys are for sure. The guys that are willing to go ahead that are... Endorsed and at this point we do start to get some Stalin like Stalinism is where we're branching now. Yeah. These are guys that are drinking the Stalinism Kool-Aid.
0: Yeah. So
1: um
0: come back to that first Steve Buscemi checklist, mm-hmm. we got Trotsky up. Uh Lenin used or Stalin used Lenin's secret police, the Cheka, and was able to kind of start pushing Trotsky away, saying, You're not really welcome here anymore. He ends up going. Saints
1: taken. <laughs> yeah,
0: he ends up getting exiled to uh, the place of Borat's from Kazakhstan. Yeah, Kazakhstan. Then after that, he gets run off to somewhere else. He ends up all the way in Mexico. Yeah, that seems like a pretty far.
1: I, I guess uh, Stalin wanted him as far away as possible, and it was probably pretty hard to get a letter to Mexico. I think the the move to Mexico, I don't think was part of Stalin's plan. I think that was a place where Trotsky was like, we're, we kind of need to get the fuck far away from here.
0: Well, and Trotsky, this whole entire
1: time is sending back all this propaganda. Kind of like, like a leading member of a certain Marxist, like as a, a sect of Marxists yeah. and everything. Probably
0: he's, all the guys that got replaced in the proletariat exactly, or by yeah. the proletariat guys. Yeah. So he's still trying to get his message out that he thinks that Stalin's a piece of shit and that he's not going to do very well for the country. Um, Stalin starts coming up with these weird plans, these five year plans. And I think the five year plans is because he took a look at Russia and realized, or the Soviet Union at that point, and realized that they're so far behind the other industrial nations that they have to try to kick something into high gear mm-hmm. to make it happen. And along those lines, when you're doing that, you're going to take a look at sort of the different
1: classes of the people that are in these countries. That He's you basically going to take the Industrial Revolution and condense it down as quick as humanly possible to basically turn Russia or the Soviet Union at that point from like more agricultural and everything. And he's like, no, fuck this shit. We're industrializing. And the fastest way for us to do that is enough with this, everyone doing their own stuff. So there's a class essentially um, called the Kulak's. And the Kulaks were basically people that, like, owned their own businesses and farms and things like that. You were considered a Kulak if you owned eight or more acres of Eight land. or more acres. Okay, there we go. So these Kulaks were having these, like, family farms and everything and growing all this food. And it's almost like, nope, enough of that shit. First thing we're going to do, no more Kulaks. No one owns anything anymore as far as this land goes. It's all for the people. Going to be state-run. And starts creating these collective farms. Well... In this process, you're going to get some of these people that have owned these farms and that now they're being told that also not only just that their stuff is being seized and they're going to start collective farming, they no longer get to keep anything. Everything that they grow goes to the state and the state will then determine what you're going to get back. So at this point, we are implementing full-blown communism at this point, And he's hitting it hard. And so I'm assuming that these are also the people that have the knowledge of how to farm the land and how to grow the crops and everything, if you have these people pushing back, I'm sure it wasn't just a, oh yeah, come take all of our stuff. Guess what happened to you? You're sent to the fucking gulag. Or you're fucking sent to Siberia. He brings someone else in that's going to do what he says, and you have this situation where you have people not knowing what they're actually doing. And he also has this idea. He's like, well, if we do collective farming, it's going to require less people to run these farms. We can move everyone into the cities and start working in factories and industrializing even faster.
0: Which then becomes a problem because there's less people trying to manufacture enough food to feed the new people that are in that, the cities. Not in his head. It's <laughs> on not top
1: of everything else. Collective farming is going to be a wild success. Yeah, this definitely feels
0: like... a galaxy brain idea that he had. And again, I don't really know if he gave a shit. I think these people were all just pawns. These uh Kulaks were just kind of
1: people that he wanted to put in different places. I see it like this, too, is you have people that are within the cities in these industrial centers. So let's say that you are bringing all these people into work in these different industries. You're providing work for these people. And that's kind of what you... Like everyone working toward the the common goal for for communism and everything, so you have these people that are able to work. You're making promises that you're going to be able to feed and provide them as long as they're working. That's yeah. how this whole thing is going to is going to happen. The people that could group enough together to create revolutions and uprisings aren't going to be the farmers and the kulaks out in the country. You're not going to be able to gather enough people to essentially not get smashed by like the military. Yeah. His only priority, if he does have a priority for the well-being of his people, is to industrialize without concern about what it takes for that to happen, body count, anything like that. But the only people that could uprise, he's trying to keep happy in these cities by and those and guess what when it comes to all the food coming in from all these you know um, collective farms, where's that food going to go and get dispersed to first? It's all coming into the cities. Yeah. In order to make its way back out to all the farmers, that's the last place it's going to have to reach, and it probably gets the fewest.
0: Well, he even was tickling his own frenulum with uh, capitalism because he was selling some of the grain that they had, some of the overages that he felt that they had off to other countries for money or oil or anything like that. So he, even though he was a devout communist, he was still taking parts of the
1: grain harvest and selling them to the highest bidder outside the country. Like I said, it's communism for, or it's capitalism for me, communism for we. Yeah, and that's
0: sort of just how he went. He, he showed that communism in the cities was going to be okay at the risk of starving and killing all of these gula or kulaks and all these people that are out working on these farms. And that's exactly what happened. Um, after he confiscates all the kulak farms, turns them all into collective farms, all the grain, like you were talking about is flowing into the cities. There's less and less that are flowing out
1: to the people that are actually working these fields who don't know a lot about doing it. Because like I said, the people that were doing this are probably been sent to fucking work camps or, or killed. Yeah. Starvation
0: sets in. Um, and then after the starvation sets in, it got bad enough by 1933 that there was actual reports of cannibalism that was taking place in these outer areas where these farms were. Like, they, it got bad enough
1: that they were literally eating people. And it got so fucking bad that after that massive famine, it killed around 10 million people.
0: Which, again, that's why I have such a hard time on why Hitler really pisses me off, but this guy is tougher. Cause 10 million is already more than Hitler killed.
1: No, no, it will. But also you're taking into account like how many deaths is Hitler responsible for because he started the war. So the, all those deaths are pinned yeah. on him as well. What I'm saying with Stalin is even before he said his famous one death is a tragedy. A million deaths is a statistic. Even before he said that to FDR, this is where you first get the taste of it is as long as things were working as he thought that they should work, that the cities were being industrious and like, you know, advancing the Soviet union, 10 million people is a statistic to him. <laughs> yeah. It's just, and part of his belief was that it was about the, the belief of the system is what was important. And if you had to call the herd, that was what the system was requiring you to do. I guess there were less mouths to feed by 10 million. And here's the thing too. It's like, <laughs> we've talked about this with like World War II and everything, it almost seemed like Russia, they would get pushed back, beat, but like, it was only until they could call in the reinforcements yeah. from the rest of the fucking country, more and then it was bodies. like, everyone's here. You always had fucking more bodies.
0: You always had some extras coming up, whether it was from the gulags or just the poor people or anybody like that, but you would think that Knowing that ten million people have died out in the countryside because of this famine would be really bad, and the people in the cities would get real
1: pissed off, right here's the other crazy thing too, man. he's not even like the chairman he's still taking his he he is in all but name, but he it has like he keeps the title in that same way that didn't Hitler not take the chancellor like he's like i'm not going to take that title, yeah, because of Hindenburg or whatever he's just like, no, 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 I'm still just the secretary doing this kind of stuff, but I'm doing this for the good of, you know, mother Russia and everything,
0: which leads me to kind of an interesting thought in saying that was, there's a lot of people that go for the title because they want the title, right? Mm-hmm. He was so unconcerned about the title that he's like, yeah, I'll just stay the secretary and just keep doing this. Like, I know
1: that I'm in charge and that's also, really all I care about. Cause it also still spreads the blame. The whole thing with like, with czar Nicholas is any shitty thing that happened you were the one, I mean, he, no one gave up, he didn't give a fuck if he was accountable, yeah. but that's where all of the blame went for people's misfortunes as it should have. At this point, he's like, no, there's still all these people within the party. I have the, the actual power. I'm the fucking puppet master at this point, but I'm not taking all the heat for this fucking famine. I have people I can pin this on because the buck doesn't stop with me just quite yet or officially on books. It doesn't.
0: But the most important people never heard about it because Stalin was so good at propaganda and he was so good at snuffing out all these stories that the people in the cities weren't ever hearing about this. Mm-mm.
1: They were and still getting fed.
0: It, yeah, they as far as they knew, it was business as usual and they were stopping these reports of all these uh, deaths and cannibalism and everything coming back into the cities. And so everybody that was in the city thought, oh shit, we're actually getting some stuff done, we're industrializing more, things are getting better without Look knowing... Look at how
1: smoggy the sky is. Yeah, Factories
0: all day long. Without knowing that there's millions of people being killed out in the countryside. Um, And eventually, uh, Stalin's
1: second wife catches wind. Yeah, at some point he does get remarried. And she is... Nadia. Yeah, funny story about this. He knew her when she was like 10 years old. Something like that when he was in uh, up in Siberia, wasn't it? No, I... It was like a family friend or someone like... I can't remember exactly. But yeah, he met her when she was 10 years old. And then by the time she comes, I think she was maybe like 19 or 20 when they finally got married. So, I mean, thank God he waited. Yeah. Um, The women that he's marrying to are... He's not just going out and finding like women that don't have any type of like belief in the cause or anything like that. These women actually do believe in, you know, the good of communism and, and everything. And so with his second wife she found out about this famine and his response to it and i think it was during like a dinner or something like that he was flirting with somebody else she got upset about it he told her to have a drink or something or drink up and he's like drink this you and she's like my name's not you yeah and then she found out and she was arguing with him about the fucking famine shit well that night after the dinner she ends up Finding a gun and killing herself.
0: She played Russian roulette, except for she loaded up the entire gun. Yeah, and in her uh, goodbye letter, she wrote that she couldn't live with knowing that that was what was going on. Mm-hmm. And it pissed Stalin off so badly to the point where he told somebody that she died an enemy. Yeah. Because had she betrayed went her. against... Yeah, she had betrayed
1: him, sorry. She went against his... Any, and that was anybody that disagreed with him.
0: Yeah, and that was really all that it took. When you're disagreeing with somebody over a famine that's killing millions of people, he's like, this is just what needs to be happened, Or this is what needs to be How happening. How dare you fucking question me
1: yeah. about the 10, 10 million people I've killed?
0: It's just a, a crazy kind of thought to know that he's marrying these women that seem fairly decent. But as soon as they find out, I guess um, the first one that died of typhus probably... Cato. Was more of a supporter <laughs> in what yeah. he was doing. But also at the time, he wasn't doing what he's doing now.
1: Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't anywhere to do it. it. was small potatoes back then. Yeah. Well, in, on December 1st of 1934, Stalin has the Secretary of Leningrad. Um, this guy named Sergei Kirov assassinated. And, and this is
0: a, a fairly big deal because Kirov and Stalin were boys.
1: Like, yeah. They were friends. Kirov but thought he was like tight. With fucking Stalin. And he was. The scary thing for Stalin, though, was... That's that's why he ends up getting killed. Because then it gives him a catalyst.
0: Yeah, he sees that Kirov is pretty popular, sees that he has a lot of friends within the party, and that he potentially, not now, not maybe even five years from now, but there's potential for Kirov to be a challenge to his leadership. And... The ruthless man that he is goes ahead and he sends an assassin in. He sends him in. I believe it was on the first time that he tried to Uh,
1: security found the gun that was in his briefcase. He taught Kirov taught at a university or was like a professor or something like that. Shout out, professor. And basically, yeah. So Stalin sends in this guy to assassinate him. He has a pistol. He gets past security, and then as he's, like, approaching Kirov's office or where he's at, security guard is like, oh, hey, by the way, sorry, I got to check your briefcase. Checks his briefcase, finds the pistol, and he's like, ah, you can't be in here with that. So he detains him, but then I guess gets a phone call or receives a letter or something. I'm assuming it was a phone call due to the speed of it. And he basically gives the guy the briefcase with the fucking loaded gun still in it, and he's (laughs) like, I I just got to send you on your way today. So... Like, a couple days later, might have been the next day. I talked to him. I get, You're clear same, now. Same fucking thing. He goes into the school. Security doesn't bat an eye. Lets him right through. Walks right up behind Kirov and pops him in the back of the head.
0: And this is a tragedy. We have a man that is beloved in Kirov that gets assassinated. Who could have done this?
1: Well, they get the guy because they fucking know who he is. And they basically <laughs> put on a show trial. And and of course it's not like Stalin is picking up the phone and talking to the murderer and being like, So this is what you're gonna do. He's basically hired to do this through some other means. Because this guy ends up being killed. Yeah. And everything is part of like the for killing Kirov. But Stalin basically uses this think with everyone and all the public thinking that they were close and supportive of each other. And he's like, My friend, they took my friend. We must get rid of all of the rivals to make sure that nothing like this can ever happen again.
0: Well, yeah, and we go back to the Buscemi list. Number two on that list is going to be a guy that we talked about earlier, Lev Kamenev. And Lev Kamenev gets the lipstick treatment as his name is crossed out when Stalin blames Lev for the murder of Kirov. And they bring Lev, a few other people in that are around Lev, and are like, hey.
1: Like 15 of them. Like high ranking members,
0: <laughs> you committed this murder. And Lev goes, "No, I didn't." He goes, "Yeah, you did." And he goes, "No, I didn't." Um, this is one of these things where Stalin played the game correctly because in Russia, I guess at this point in time, when they you were, have to say in Russia, in Russia, when they would go
1: to trial, they would almost need like a confession to be able to. It was all like almost all of the not yeah not verdicts, but um, what do you call it when someone is not condemned but tried? Fuck, why can't I think of that word? Found guilty of? I guess, yes. It The, the evidence was almost all confession-based. It was very hard to get someone convicted. Okay, yeah. It was hard to get someone convicted on, like, evidence. It was mostly all confession-based. And so, yeah, he pulls in these 15 guys. He's like, all right, here's how it's going to go. Um, you guys are going to say that you're all accessories and a party to this. You guys planned it, and you guys carried it out. Or... I'm probably still going to kill all of you, but I'm also going to kill all your families too. (laughs) So either you guys can just say you did it. I kill you. Do the, you know, do the good Bolshevik thing. Take the heat for this. Cause I, you know, I've killed, I've already killed 10 million people in the famine. I'm not going to sweat. Well, it's a few more. Yeah. And being people that wanted to protect their families and everything, these guys came out and basically said, yep, we did this. We plotted to do this. And, I'm not. Yeah, they got the shit kicked out of them too. They were beating
0: them up in these. Oh interrogations. yeah, definitely. So just uh, another by force. Um, they basically put on these show trials. Lev's goes first, where he gives his confession to what happened. Says that he was the the main guy that got everything going. Um, after he's found guilty, they have another show trial. They get the rest of them, and this is what starts what's called the Great Purge. So- and it's essentially just him purging anybody that could be a
1: fucking house.
0: that could be a threat
1: to him in any way. He basically sells this as saying, and I don't know how much of this got to the public with the amount of people that were killed during the great purge. I imagine there was some type of like public outcry or an explanation that needed to be provided to the public. It's gotta be the fact that he's like, we just found these 15 guys that were a party to the murder of this beloved, you know, member of our party. And then they confessed to it. And they confessed to it. But not only that, we've got information of other conspirators or like other pockets of resistance that are a threat to, you know, our great nation.
0: And so... We were right the first 16 times.
1: Yeah, exactly. So now we're going to go for a thousand. We don't want another... We don't... Not one more uh, Kirov. Yeah. Remember Kirov. So basically, Stalin kills over a 1,000 lower party members (laughs) and more of half the Army's top officers in this Great Purge. And, man, having knowing what's going to happen in the future, God, I can't imagine it would be good to have half of your Army's top officers that know about warfare on hand for an an event that's going to be coming up here pretty soon.
0: Yeah, it just seems like a... I don't know, almost like a this is another one of those things where we run into a butterfly effect of had he not wiped out half of this top brass of the army, would they have maybe been more prepared
1: for what was coming later on? It may not have happened, because if you, you know, if you're thinking true. about this, you know, there were spies all over. I'm sure this takes place. When did when was the Great Purge? Um, The Great Purge mid 30s? mid nineteen thirties. Nineteen thirty one. Nineteen No, it was after that because in December, that's when um Kirov was assassinated, was in thirty four. Oh, okay. So in thirty five it's gotta be somewhere around that. But basically you have at a time where when you're looking at Germany right now, there's a certain other guy on the rise to power. And I don't think there was really any foresight of it was more of just like this is when I think Stalin isn't like the calculating person that he is. I think he just used that position of secretary because of that position. He was able to identify who's attending what, who's saying what at meetings. He basically, like you said, he had the list of people that he knew was going to, were going to be a threat or, or he could just, and could be eliminated. And then he could just replace them with his own guys. I don't think he had any idea not being an actual military man. Yeah, of what it would cost them. I'm sure he was like, I can get rid of half of them, keep the other half, put my guys in play. And what's going to happen? We're not at war right now. I don't need these guys right now. I can train new guys. Right. I think that's
0: what a lot of it was, was um, it was almost like because he hadn't been through like an attack from another country. I think part of that was that he didn't really understand like what would happen if somebody did come to attack. Like he'd never seen
1: wartime besides these little civil wars. Do you think people in Russia, like rulers, like he is at this point and everything, they've looked at the previous history of people trying to invade Russia, realizing how futile and how unsuccessful it is. And so you never really think of being invaded or attacked because you have fucking general... January and general February. One of the greatest things that I heard doing all this research. Oh, yeah. That's hilarious that yes. they call it general January and general <laughs> February. That can li- that literally come around every year that prevent all this kind of stuff from happening.
0: Yeah, I, maybe he didn't think that the need for the
1: military, all he needed was enough to quell an uprising, really. Well, and when we say, you know, he kills over a thousand lower party members, half the army's top officers. Okay, so that is just in the party and in the army overall in the great purge 700,000 to 1.2 million people either detained in the gulag system or put to death was that the purge or the terror that's the purge the (laughs) terror is even fucking worse yeah all right ladies and gentlemen thanks for joining us for another episode if you like what you heard hit that subscribe and like button follow us if you didn't like what you heard still hit that anyway because we'll probably cover something in the future that you do like Um, please follow us on our social media adam hit him with it Uh, our instagram is historically high pod
0: historically high pod and we are on twitter at historically
1: high that's historically h i All right. And if you guys want to send in any feedback, suggestions, hit us up on those two, or you can even do it on Gmail. It's podcast at gmail.com. Thanks again. Peace.